Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, hey, everyone. Tamara here, back for another Friday wrap-up. What, what? It's Friday, yo. Kind of excited about that. Actually, I love all days of the week. I love what I do, so Mondays are good for me, too, but... This weekend, I've got some good plans going. I'll report back after the weekend of what happened, but I'm pretty excited. And I'm excited for the everyday innovators we had on this week. Richard, Isla, Stefan, Matt, really diverse group of people that I will get into. Before I do that, I actually wanted to cover a topic that I think is relevant and important to a lot of us, and that is self-doubt. And the The challenge that self-doubt presents isn't just that we doubt ourselves, we have moments of insecurity and all that stuff. It actually impacts how we behave and how we act. And it doesn't often work in our favor. I think we can probably all agree that when we act from a place of self-doubt, we probably don't do the things we should do or don't speak up or say things in a way that we didn't actually mean to say them, but we say it that way because it comes from doubt. And I was reminded the other day as I was talking to someone about an experience I had when I actually got into university that was just riddled with self-doubt. And I want to share it with you because I hope that in sharing it with you, it'll actually help you overcome whatever self-doubt you might face. Now, here's the thing about self-doubt, I think, at least from my experience, it doesn't always fully go away, but it does become manageable. So just because I came overcame some self-doubt or realized my lesson out of it in my 20s doesn't mean now well into my 40s that I don't suffer from it every now and again. I certainly do. And I think that's especially true for us everyday innovators, which is all of us here, when we're trying to push the limits, go bigger, you know, put our, our flag in the ground, when we're trying to speak up and stand out, and we're trying to break through our obstacles. I think the self-doubt shows up over and over again because we're doing new things. We're in uncomfortable places. So recognize that, recognize that it pops up periodically over and over again for some of us more than others. And it's it's natural, it's human nature really, but we need to overcome it because as I share this story, you'll see then it impacts how we behave and that's not the place that we want to play from. I'm pretty sure none of us, we want to play from a place of self-confidence, not of self-doubt. So here's what happened. So When the oversized envelope from University of California, Berkeley came, I was stunned. Now, here's the thing. For those of you who are too young to understand this, who get everything digitally or electronically, back in the day when you applied to university, if you got the regular envelope, it mean you didn't get in because it was just a decline letter. But if you were accepted, you got a big envelope with like a bunch of other stuff in it, like here's how orientation works, here's what you have to do next, here's our marketing materials. So when I got that oversized envelope, from UC Berkeley, I was shocked. I mean, how did I get in? I mean, the truth is I wasn't the best academically and I've always struggled with the traditional learning model in high school, really in university too. I I guess I was that student that the teachers found disruptive and annoying, you know, the one, I think that was me. 
So to no surprise, my grace sucked in high school. So I went to junior college first. And once I got there, I think my desire to get the heck out of my hometown pushed me to do a little bit better and apply to Berkeley. But the reality is I never thought I'd get in. I, I could not imagine it. I did not even believe it that I was even there, like after moving into the dorms, after starting class, until well into my first semester. Like I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I was sure the letter was meant for someone else. So I called admissions to confirm this letter wasn't for a different Tamara Goddor. I mean, really, how many Tamara Goddors are there out there? Like, it's not exactly the most common name, but I called admissions because I was certain they messed up. But when they confirmed it, I was like, all right. But then I only packed two suitcases because I was sure I would be sent home the minute they realized I was an imposter. Like I'd show up to the dorm day, you know, where you, where the parents would kind of move you into the dorm and they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. That's, this room isn't for you. And then on my first day of class, like all the classes, I sat in the back so that when they did the initial roll call, no one would notice that I never had to say here, right? If they didn't call my name, the worst of my insecurities about being inadequate and average compared to the compared to the other students at this top tier school came in a very intimate setting. The main anthropology class had over 200 students. So we also had to attend this weekly study group led by graduate students. I think a lot of universities still do that. So there were about six students in each of these classes, these small study groups. And every week, one of us would be given the homework of leading the class and what we thought the lesson or insights were out of the week's chapter. So this particular week was my turn. And if my memory serves me, the chapter was about how different cultures across the globe had different perspectives and values when confronted with the same object or situation. It's funny how all this comes full circle to what I do today. But the point is, right, that these different cultures have different, attached different meanings to different things, even the same things, right, across the globe. I was so nervous and I was feeling so inadequate and insecure compared to all these brilliant students that I was surrounded by. And I wanted so badly to get it right, to look smart. Have you ever been there where you just, that's all you want, right? Is to just have them give you that thumbs up when you're done. I wanted everyone in the room to know I belonged. So I read and I reread the chapter, gosh, at least 20 times. I wrote down my thoughts. I scratched them out. I rewrote them. I overanalyzed and underanalyzed everything I wrote. I definitely undervalued any thought that I had. I doubted myself at every turn. So this was my chance to prove to everyone I was smart enough to play with the big dogs. And I was failing miserably. Finally, after late nights of self-doubt and frustration, I landed on what I thought would be the right answer. The one that the graduate student teacher was looking for. I was expecting a round of applause and my God, tomorrow you are brilliant, right? That's what I was hoping for. So I walked in, I presented my case, and was instantly met with disappointment. So the graduate student leading the class looked at me with surprise. He very easily explained why my answer was way off base and went on to lead the class in the real discussion. Oh my gosh, you guys, I was heartbroken. The worst part is the answer he shared was the one I knew was right, but had scratched out because I didn't think I could possibly get the answer that quickly or that effortlessly? Like, how could I possibly know that? I was so focused on proving myself that I completely undervalued and second-guessed what I brought to the table. I left that class in tears. That feeling of lacking worthiness has always stuck with me. 
even as I'm sharing this, uh, it conjures up a lot of those old feelings. Like, and sometimes I catch myself falling back into that place of doubt. Maybe it happens when I'm in a meeting with a big client or interviewing someone famous that, you know, that little voice says, well, Tamara, who are you to be here? Or be quiet or they will realize you aren't as smart as they are. I have to convince myself that I bring tremendous value and worth. And so do you. And so I'm opening up and I'm sharing this story with you about my extreme self-doubt at every turn. I mean, think about it for a second. I doubted they sent the letter to the right person. Like clearly there's another Tamara Gondor out there that this was meant for. I doubted I was supposed to be in the dorm. I doubted I was supposed to be in the classes. I didn't even pack all my stuff because I was sure I was getting sent home at any point. When I finally had the opportunity to speak up, instead of just leading with confidence of, okay, Tamara, you got accepted, you belong here. So just speak up with your perspective and your opinion. I worked so hard to get it quote unquote right that I was just way off base. So like I said, I share this with you because I think we all, carry around a little bit or a lot of self-doubt. And what it really is at the end of the day is self-inflicted bullshit. And it does more harm than good. Now, you definitely aren't alone. It's perfectly normal, even for the seemingly most successful, to have self-doubt. And no one really, I think, as I was saying before, truly sheds it. But I think we have to get to the place of shedding some of that self-doubt or minimizing it and coming from a place of self-confidence. It's funny, like I said, as I share this story, it already like reminds me of how painfully insecure I was and how deeply wrong I was to even come from that place. So, you know, and just so you know, because I bet I'll get emails from you later saying, well, what was the point of the, the chapter and what happened next? So the chapter, like I said, was all about kind of that diversity of thinking and cultures and perspectives. Like I said, ironic, even what I do today is all about that, really. And my answer when I came into that class was um, that everybody across the globe at the end of the day has a shared common value on things. And that's just not true. I think we know that's not true, right? Cultures are different. People are different. Geographies are different. And that's what I came in with. Like, we're all the same, basically. And my poor anthropology grad student leader was like, oh my gosh, Tamara, why are you here? So that day after that class, I went home and had a little talk with myself. I actually went for a long run and picked myself up and said, all right, Tamara, you, you've got to start acting like you belong here or this is never going to work. And you're going to get sent home because you can't cut it, but you can't cut it because you don't believe in yourself. So I had a little self-talk, picked myself up, dried my tears and struggled with it for the next six months until I finally got a little more ease, but I worked through it. I leaned right into that self-doubt and turned it into self-confidence and it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. And I think it's going to be worth it for you and whatever you're dealing with. All right, moving on from self-doubt, let's get some inspiration from some everyday innovators. We had Richard Fertig on Monday, Isla Anik on Tuesday, Stefan Parent, Matt Lay, great guests. So let me tell you the one thing about each of them that really spoke to me and kind of made me go, huh, I need to rethink that or I'm going to try that. I'm going to experiment with this. And my hope in sharing this with you is that it gives you a little moment of inspiration and turn some of this knowledge, this incredible knowledge that you're gaining with our guests and turn it into action. And if something really speaks to you, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because I'm not going to share and recap the whole thing. I'm just pulling out one nugget nugget that really spoke to me. So let's start with Monday and Richard Fertig. Now, Richard is in the real estate and investment space. And he's a risk taker instinctual. So risk taker is all about bold, leaping, innovating, the uncomfortable. And instinctual is all about 
a more circuitous thought pattern, pulling out the insights and the patterns out of the information or data. And the magic in that combination is Richard brings bold, connective innovation to the table. And it's all over the interview. But the one thing he talked about that really stuck with me was actually about the power of admitting you're wrong. I think it is so hard for us as humans to just go, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Full stop, right? We want to justify it. I was wrong. But I mean, you can understand where I came from because I thought X, Y, Z, and this was true and that was true versus just saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And not even I'm sorry. It doesn't have to be apologized. Just I was wrong. And he talked about the reason that being so powerful is it really starts you from a place of truth and that you can build from there and that owning when you are wrong is really the only way to truly grow and improve. And I think he is 100% right about that. And it's funny because just after that interview released, I um, may or may not, okay, I did, I'm just going to own it. I did yell at my son for not getting me something at the farmer's market that I thought he should get me. But in the meantime, he'd gotten a million other things that I'd asked for. But I focused on this one thing without even realizing the other stuff that he had done to compensate. And I just, I yelled at him and then I felt really bad. And I went into his room. I remembered what Richard said. And I just said, Hey, Liam, I'm really sorry. I'm wrong. I was wrong to yell at you like that. And then I stopped. Now my inclination was to be like, yeah, but I told you to get a bunch of tomatoes and you only got three. And you know, the tomatoes were more important than the bread. But really at the end of the day, he did what I asked him to do. I wasn't clear on my expectations and I was the one that was wrong and I had to apologize. So admitting you're wrong is really powerful. Now it doesn't have to come with apology. Let me be clear. Sometimes we're wrong because our hypothesis going into an idea is wrong or because the workflow that we set up didn't work and we're wrong about what we thought was going to happen, right? Oh, I was wrong. That idea didn't play out. But again, we've got to start from a place that's wrong. So I really took that to heart. I hope you do too. I'm really going to think about all the places where I try to maybe justify, I was wrong, but I thought X, Y, Z. I was wrong, but you can understand where I'm coming from, right? What his point was, you just got to say it full stop and own it. And that's how you move forward. So let's start admitting we're wrong. I'm really going to look at that. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, But the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. 
All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. All right, next up on Tuesday was Isla Anik, who is in the healthcare space, so particularly um, heart care and driving innovation, very pioneering in her field. And she's an imaginative instinctual. And the imaginative side is all about playing in the gaps, creating that novel. In fact, less is more for imaginatives are really good at pioneering things. And the instinctual side is all about that circuitous thought pattern of A to B to X over to Y back to A. They tend to think from their gut because things are more circuitous and not as linear. Because of that, though, they do see patterns and connections that others miss. So the beauty and the imaginative instinctual is she brings novel connective innovation to the table. So here's what she talked about that really spoke to me, because I think this is something that I sometimes confuse. And I think other people that I see in my world, in my community confuse. She was talking about the difference between naysayers and supporters and that you have to be able to understand the difference. Now that might sound obvious. Well, obviously tomorrow naysayers are shut everything down, don't support you and supporters like, you know, lift you up push you along. They're the rising tide. Sort of. Her point was, if you have the right supporters around you, they should actually be harsh. They should be challenging you. They should be poking holes, right? To make you stronger. Where the naysayers are doing it to bring you down. And what you've got to understand is really the difference between the two. Is this person a naysayer because they're trying to pull you into mediocrity and bring you down? Or Are they challenging you because they're actually trying to push you forward and lift you up and you've got some blind spots? I think there have been times in my life and in my work where I have misunderstood the intentions of someone and labeled them as a naysayer when they were really a supporter. We had a guest on a while back that actually talked about that because he comes across as a yes, but person. And what he said on the podcast was so interesting. We said, I'm sometimes mistaken for someone who's trying to block your progress, but I'm really just trying to think it through and see all the holes so that we don't get caught out, right? So that we don't fall into those holes. So think about the people in your world. And by the way, I'm going to add to what Isla said, which is if your supporters are all rosy colored glasses and everything's a yes and a thumbs up, you're not getting the feedback you need. You're not getting the perspective that you need. There's no way you have all the answers and do everything right. Sorry, it's not going to happen. It's not happening for me. It's not happening for you. It's not happening for anybody. Think about finding supporters who are willing to give you some tough love, who are willing to support you in a way that's even harder. I think, in fact, they're the ultimate supporters because they're willing to have the conversations with you that other people aren't willing to have, but to really understand the difference between the two. I was talking to a colleague of mine about this concept and she said, you know, it's interesting. I think I have some people in my world that are supporters, but I've labeled them as naysayers and almost blocked them out a little bit because I had a hard time taking their criticism. She went back and she actually brought those people back into the fold and they've been tremendous supporters of hers and have helped her build her business 
in a tough and challenging way. So thanks for that, Isla, because that really made me think about where people were coming from and to make sure that the supporters that I have around me aren't yes and people, because that doesn't do anyone any good. Nobody needs to drink the Kool-Aid around me. In fact, the harsher you are, the better, because I know we're all going to move forward in a stronger way. So I would encourage you to think about that too. All right. On Wednesday, we have Stefan Parent, who is in the meeting and event space. He does a lot of that technology and AV, and not just AV in the sense of set up your presentation, but like incredible interactive type stuff as well. So meetings and events. So he is a collaborative tweaker. So the collaborative is all about pulling those disparate people and ideas and experiences together. The tweaker is all about editing and iterating and optimizing. So the collaborative is right all about gathering. And then the tweaker in him is all about pushing it forward with small little adjustments and tweaks along the way. The power in that combination is bringing whole optimized innovation. So he talked about something that I think, particularly in the world that we live in right now, at least in the U.S., we need to really think long and hard about, talked about respect and how if you want others to respect your opinion, to listen to you, to think what you're having to say is valid, to to take in and be open and receptive to what you're saying, he said it starts with you showing them respect first. I think right now in the world we're in, I'm just going to get on my soapbox, we are so lacking in respect of each other's opinions, especially if they're different. We try to convince the person why they're wrong and why we're right, minimizing respect, I think, on all sides. And in fact, I th- I'd venture to say that oftentimes what I've seen lately is we go into conversations lacking respect before we even hear what they have to say. The minute we think they're going to come from a different perspective for whatever reason, whatever superficial cue gives us that, right? We, we start out from a place of lack of respect. And then we wonder why the conversations go so horribly wrong. Respect. If you want others to respect you, you have to start by respecting them first. I'd love that conversation because I, I think I've talked about this before. I work really hard to be open to other people's perspectives. In fact, what I want to know is, well, how did they get that perspective? What life experiences or decisions or community or information led them to the place they're in? And I, I think people are fascinating. And I think the reason we get to the decisions and the ideas and the opinions we get to is actually equally as fascinating. And I try to go into every conversation with that mindset of, let's understand the why. Why does this person believe what they believe? And Steph and I were talking a little bit more in a business context when we started this conversation about respect, but wow, how many times have you gone into a conversation assuming, right, that you already disagree with them, don't like their opinion, they're not your friend because they disagree with you before you even sit down to have the conversation? Imagine how that conversation would be different if you walked in assuming respect, I think when you assume it and behave with respect, you command it back to you as well. I have, for the last year in particular, really worked hard to be open and respectful to other people's opinions and to really hear them out and not insert my own opinion, but actually ask them more of the whys about theirs. And I'm going to tell you right now, those conversations have been honest, vulnerable, open, respectful. So think about how you're going into your conversations. Are you going in assuming respect or are you going in assuming disrespect? Thank you for that, Stephen. I thought that conversation was very powerful. It made me think a lot. All right. Last but not least is Matt Lay, who is in the leadership field, and he's a collaborative inquisitive. So he pulls all those disparate pieces together to create that picture, that puzzle, 
That's the collaborative side. And then the inquisitive side is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions. Inquisitives innovate in the questions, not the answers. And that combination brings whole and deep innovation to the table. So interestingly, kind of on the same basis of respect, respect but different, Matt talked about getting rid of the narrative of right versus wrong and switching that to optimal versus suboptimal. And what he was talking about is whether that's brainstorming in business or in life, when we go into a conversation looking for or labeling things as right versus wrong, we tend to shut the innovation down. We shut the conversation down because we're looking for right and wrong, right? It, it pits us. It puts us on sides against each other or the ideas on sides against each other. He said when he flipped that, particularly in innovation to optimal or suboptimal, it allows for a more objective and a more real conversation and people don't take it so personally, right? You start debating ideas, not people, which I think is so important getting rid of right versus wrong. He said, you're more open to hearing what the other person has to say. You're more open to thinking about, well, how do I strengthen this? How do I make this more optimal versus it's just in the wrong camp. So we're, we're going to put a pretty bow on it and label it wrong and walk away. Matt said he worked really hard and he shares a bunch of stories around this, but about removing himself from the right versus wrong and making it optimal versus suboptimal. He said that tiny little shift has helped him build his business, build his relationships, all of it. So the next time you go into a brainstorm or into a conversation, think about if you are attacking it as right versus wrong, or if you're coming in with, we're trying to optimize things here. Sometimes they're optimal, sometimes they're suboptimal, but we're trying to find that place. I bet you the brainstorm, the ideation, the meeting, whatever it is you're having, will have a very different outcome. All right, what do you say we shed some of that self-doubt replace it with some self-confidence. And then let's learn from Richard and Isla and Stefan and Matt and all their different everyday innovator styles and the different industries that they're in to move ourselves a little bit further forward in this next normal. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. So great to have you here. We got another great week lined up. So many incredible everyday innovators. And hey, if you're out there and you're thinking, I want to be interviewed, I got some cool stuff to say. Go to our website, go to the podcast page. There's a form to fill out. We can't wait to hear from you. Tamara out. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.